listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. With the passage of Scripture that clear, I feel like we should maybe just pray and receive communion and, and depart. You all understand what Jesus was saying, right? So with your dishonest wealth, you know, just put that to to good use. Amen? Man, this this passage would have been a good one for that last series about um, look who's talking, right? So how in the world can this passage fit into a series on the common good? Man, Jesus, help us out. Lord, have mercy on us. I want to read another passage of Scripture, just a very short one. This is what the Old Testament says about um, charging people interest. This is Exodus 22.5. If you lend money to my people, to the poor among you, you are not to act as a creditor to him. You shall not charge him with interest. I wonder if the master from that story had read that passage of Scripture. right? So you have the master in the story who apparently is firing his steward. The steward, like the manager, maybe that's a better term that you'll understand. So you have like the owner and the manager, right? So the owner is is firing the manager, and now the manager is trying to make a deal so that because he's he's too old to dig and he's too too proud to beg. Which that sounds strikingly familiar to me these days. I just thought, thought of, uh, you know, I attended the church softball game on Tuesday, and I'm, I'm looking at everybody playing, and I'm, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm too old to do this, but I'm too proud to say that I'm too old to do this, right? And I thought, oh, I sound like that, I sound like that manager in that parable I'm preaching about on Sunday. So, <clears throat> so what's, what's going on here? So the manager has lost his job, and he thought, well, I'm... I'm I'm too old to dig and I'm, I'm too proud to beg. What can I do? And so he meets with the people who owe his, the owner, his, his, his master money. <clears throat> and it's interesting, like, if we look very carefully at the parable, not everything had been charged the same interest, right? So some guy owed him so much for oil, and he's like, well, we can cut that in half. Well, someone else had owed him so much for wheat and we can't cut it in half, but we can cut it by about, was it 20%? I'm not good with, with math, so you'll forgive me. Um, there are other people here at the church that handle the finances, don't worry. <laughs> um, about 20%, so not everything was charged the same rate. So one of the challenges, I think, with this parable, as with all the parables of Jesus, is that uh, they... they um, they present us with a story that I think requires us to kind of lean in, to, to listen, to ponder. Like, what in the world could this be about? Because on face value, it sounds like Jesus is maybe commending somebody for behaving dishonestly. And there's something about us that want to say, well, that can't be right. And that intuition, I think, is a good one. I think that actually is wrong. I don't think that's what's happening. On a couple of ways, in a couple of ways. On, on the one hand, I think when it says that the master is commending him, and even the, the commentary at the end, I think we're still in the parable. 
right? I think it's the master in the parable that's commending the man for his behavior and not necessarily Jesus. I think eventually what Jesus does have to say is that this man in his economy acted shrewdly and uh, we, in, in the economy of Jesus, need our own kind of shrewdness, but we're not quite there yet. We haven't quite figured out how to work. So as you might imagine, the commentators are all over the place on this one. Like, it's a, it's a challenging one. Like, how are we going to do it? So one way to think about it is this, that this master apparently has been charging some kind of interest. Like, maybe he's not charging interest on money, but he is charging interest on goods, and that's kind of out of bounds. So the shrewd manager, when he goes to settle the debt, he's like deleting that interest, and when the master sees it, he's like, ah, well, you got me on that one, you know, because I can't, I can't now kind of go public with this. Then people will know that I've done this interest. And both Exodus and Leviticus tells us not to do that. So the, the steward, the manager, still loses his job. But the master, the owner, kind of commends him on his way out the door. Well, you got me on that one, man. Hopefully it'll serve you well. Maybe these people... Uh, will take care of you. I think that one's problematic, but it's what some people have said. Others have said this, that, that somehow the way the, the steward, the way the manager um, funded his own life was by charging an extra bit of interest. Like not only was um, the owner or excuse me, not only was the people who kind of owed these things being charged some interest by the owner, but additional interest by the manager. And that's the part he's letting them out of, right? He's cutting off his, his cut, right? And the reason he's doing this is because he realizes he's not going to have a job soon, and he's hoping that these people might kind of help him out. And so he's kind of managing his own wealth now in a way that doesn't benefit him, but he's managing his own wealth in a way that benefits others. And I think we might be getting closer to what Jesus is saying there. But I still don't know that that's the best reading of the parable. I think whatever's going on in this story, what part of what Jesus is saying is, this is the way the world works, but this is not the way you should work. When he, when he does commend them for uh, their shrewdness, I think it's just that and only that. That's being commended. Like <clears throat> he refers to dishonest wealth. In our culture, I don't know that there's any other kind. Like the story ends, who can you serve? You only can serve, right, either God or money. And we are faced with that, and it seems kind of stark. Like, how could that be possible? Like, can't, isn't there some way that we can kind of um, do a little bit of both? Isn't there a way we can kind of accumulate or, or have, have our own access? So again, <clears throat> it, can, it can seem problematic. None of us are ready to take a vow of poverty, right? I had a friend years ago come to me, and he was an electric engineer. He's a young man. He had already made a pretty decent uh, small fortune, but he felt a call to ministry and he wasn't quite sure what to do with that kind of accumulated wealth. And he's like, Robbie, what should I do? What should I do with this? Should I just give it away? And I'm like, well, your options would be you could transfer it into the denomination's 401k. He's like, wait a minute. 
the denomination has a retirement plan? I'm like, yes. He said, well, I didn't think we were supposed to do that. I thought we were supposed to, to trust in the Lord. And I'm like, well, I guess it's both. Right? It's difficult. So here's the challenge. I think amongst the things that Jesus says uh, kind of at the end of the parable, and it seems to be a string of little proverbs that, that are put together there, the final one, which is you can't serve two, and the, and the, the lectionary reading kind of ended, the, the next verse kind of said, because the Pharisees love wealth. Somehow that got left out. I wish they would have included that one in there. Maybe I could have done that. I could have asked Alan to read one more verse, right? Because the Pharisees love their wealth. Here's the thing. <clears throat> the way in which Jesus is in the world is strikingly similar to this steward who seems to be playing by different rules. Like I think one way of reading this parable is that Jesus is the quote-unquote um, dishonest steward. Because he's going to play this game, but not by the rules of the game. He's going to take whatever he has and he's going to use it to help others. So that ultimately his goal is not in the accumulation of things, whether that's praise or honor or whether that's wealth or power or privilege, but he's kind of laying all those things down. Like there is a way to be in the kingdom. And we realize that the way of being in the kingdom is kind of always preferring the other. Finding a way. So there's a, a collection of Old Testament passages that kind of get paired with this, with this parable that we didn't read today. And they're all um, from the prophets and they're pretty angry with people for um, uh, not taking care of the poor. Right. So their judgments on kind of the mistreatment of the poor. And then there's an epistle passage here, too, that has to do with kind of saying a prayer for um, authorities. Except it's the authorities who are often the ones who have created the situation where the poor are poor. Like they're the ones who are often kind of taking advantage of the poor. So who are we praying for and what is the prayer we pray for them? Um, <clears throat> and Fiddler on the Roof, they ask the rabbi, they say, Rabbi, is there a blessing uh, for everything? And he says, yes, of course, there's a blessing for everything. And they said, well, what's the blessing for the czar? And he's like, hmm. hmm. Lord, bless the czar and keep him. Far, far away. <laughs> so sometimes our prayers, we are to pray for the authorities, right? We are to pray for those in power. Right? Maybe not just at, maybe at a national level, but even those who have influence over our, like our managers or the owners or the places that we work. We are to pray for people in power, but part of what we're to pray for them is not just that they get blessed so they can have more, but we pray for them so that they can be the way God wants them to be. We pray for them so that they might utilize their wealth in ways that actually prefers people. That's our prayer for them. Our prayer for them, like our prayer for us, is that we will be more like Christ. That's the prayer. So we pray, we both can, be, we both can advocate for the needs 
of the needy, and we can pray that they will be treated well. And then we too can kind of act in that way. There's a prayer that I read on a pretty regular basis, uh, and I was going to share it with you today. It says this, Show us your mercy, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Clothe your ministers with righteousness. I think of myself every time I pray, pray that. <laughs> Let your people sing with joy. I think of all of you every time I pray that. Give peace, O Lord, in all the world, for only in you can we live in safety. Lord, keep this nation under your care. So I feel like I'm following the epistolary passage about praying for authorities there. And guide us in the way of justice and truth so that our prayers is for, for the country to be more just. And let your way be known upon the earth, your saving health among all nations. Let not the needy, O Lord, be forgotten, nor the hope of the poor be taken away. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and sustain us with your Holy Spirit. So you see, <clears throat> on the one hand, I don't have a lot of expectation that the world is going to be reformed anytime soon. I, I, I think it's pretty broken. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to pray for it to be better. I am. But in the meantime, while I am praying for it to be better, I'm also both praying that we can be better and that we can already be transformed. Right, through the power of the Spirit, through God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, that we can live into lives of generosity and caring so that we do, we do become shrewd. That there is a shrewdness of the kingdom. A shrewdness of the kingdom that um, creates in us ways of of bending and, and breaking old rules that might have otherwise hurt people, right? <clears throat> Augustine would say an unjust law is no law at all. And, and we understand even from the teachings of Jesus that the rules themselves were made for the benefit of the people, right? Sabbath was made for, for people, not people for the Sabbath. And Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, so we have to be careful in the way in which we think, well, there are these certain rules and we have to always live by these standards. And typically, we're hardly ever holding ourselves to those standards, but we are holding other people to them. Like, why aren't they living this way? And we have to be careful not to kind of use those as ways of um, kind of badgering folks. Again, in the, uh, the faith of my childhood, we sometimes substituted morality for holiness. We knew we, we, that we needed to be like Christ and that Christ was holy, but we weren't quite sure what that meant. And so we came up with a list of do's and don'ts. And then we measured ourselves and others by them. And morality is not a bad thing, but it is a poor substitute for holiness. For to be like Christ, we'll realize that holiness will <clears throat> call us to critique not just those things that we can see, but holiness will come to us in Christ with light and with beauty and with fire, kind of transforming those things that we're less likely to see or criticize. And hardly anything, I think, in our culture is more difficult than our, our sense of possessions. 
So the common good, as we've titled this series, the common good is achieved in this way of being in the world. And it's not, um, I think, a blanket um, endorsement for some kind of mastery of the use of dishonest wealth. But rather, it is an endorsement of adopting a shrewdness to say there's a way of kind of, if you're going to be in the world but not of the world, you're nevertheless kind of in the world, right? So how are you going to be in the world in a way that's not of it? Well, it's going to take some shrewdness. We're going to have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And sometimes in, in Christian circles, we're okay with being gentle as doves, right? We just don't want to offer anything, any, any critique. We're just going to be soft and gentle. And in a way, it's a way of withdrawal. We kind of pull away. There were some Jews that did this too, the Essenes. They just wanted to be separate in their little enclave. We do that too easily in our culture. And of course, there are other ways of being Christian in the world that's, that doesn't kind of lets go of the gentleness of doveness, so to speak. But man, it embraces the craftiness of the serpent, right? We think we can kind of use our politics to kind of accomplish what we need. All we need to do is get the right person elected and all of a sudden our our systems will be okay. But the shrewdness, I think, of the kingdom is actually holding on to all of those things of, that Jesus is teaching us. That is both the gentleness of the dove and the craftiness of the serpent that's able to kind of prefer the people over the rule, that's able to prefer the other, especially the poor, over the preference for finance or for wealth or for comfort. The band's going to come back and we're going to um, listen to um, the words of a modern day prophet that kind of offer us a, a way of thinking about what is it like to kind of em embrace maybe this kind of shrewdness of the kingdom, right? to be gentle as doves, but to be wise as serpents, to be in the world but not of it, that is to utilize even dishonest wealth in ways that prefer people, that, that doesn't kind of concretize or kind of baptize our systems, but leaves ourselves open to the Spirit and where the Spirit might lead us and guide us. But we can trust that wherever that is, that that is going to be with and for people. And it's going to be with and for people that look like us, and it's going to be with and for people that don't look like us. It's going to be with people that we share similar thoughts and beliefs and practices, and it's going to be with people who have very different thoughts, beliefs, and practices. And that, my friends, is at the very heart of what I think God is calling us to be. And one way to talk about that is just to say that the good news is not good news unless it's good news for everyone. The good news is the common good.
We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.